several years ago, I decided I was going to do something really awesome for my wife. It was our 10th anniversary. As I said, several years ago. It's our 10th anniversary. And um, on our first anniversary, we had had this awesome trip I've told you about. Had one little funny part, but it was awesome mostly. We went to Helen, Georgia, and we had a really good time. And so it was our 10th anniversary, and I thought, you know what would be great? I'm going to surprise her again like I did on our first anniversary. And um, we're going to go back to Helen, Georgia, and we're going to stay in the same place and, you know, all of that. We're going to relive everything. I thought, I got this all planned out. I'd worked on it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I thought, this is going to be so good because, I, I, like, I've got the whole thing planned out. Well, close to time to leave, I got really sick. And the doctor said, man, you're so sick. We've got to do something a little more than antibiotics. We need to put you on steroids. You ever taken steroids before? And I said, no, no, no. Okay, well, you'll be fine. Okay, great. So I started taking uh, steroids. I was not fine. I don't know how many of you have ever had this experience. Obviously, it's not for my muscles. But uh, I was just trying to knock this coal out. And it completely changed my entire personality. Like everything, you know, you might not get this vibe, but I'm an extrovert. I don't know if you get that. But um, so I, w I became very introverted. I became very quiet. I remember we, we got up there, and I was like having an out-of-body experience. How many of you ever had steroids and it didn't sit right? I'm having an out-of-body experience, and I'm just sitting there staring out the window. She goes, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. Who are you? I don't know. Where are you? I have no idea. Look at the window. The window's there. There are curtains on it. Just lost everything. So we're standing there, and, and stuff started going wrong in the little cabin we were in. The pilot light kept going out, and it was cold, and, you know, the, the guy would come and relight it, and we had no hot water, and I have no idea what went wrong with my brain. But uh, we went out to eat at a restaurant, and I, I didn't even know this was a thing, but it happened to be Oktoberfest in Helen, Georgia, which is a German village. And let's translate that. It was like drunk party. That's what it was. In Helen, Georgia, and just in my own out-of-body, steroid, crazy self, I went, we're out of here. Like, that's the only thing I said in two days. We're out of here. You know, it's almost like E.F. Hutton's about to say something. What is it? We're out of here. What do you mean we're out of here? Pilot light won't work. We don't have any hot water. Everybody's drunk. We're leaving. She said, where are we going to go? Oh, well, it would be awesome. I have no idea, but it's going to be awesome. So we got in the car, packed our stuff, told them we're leaving. We started driving up the road. Where are you headed? We're going to go to Gatlinburg. You know why? It's fall, and it's beautiful in Gatlinburg. And it was an absolutely beautiful. There's only one problem. Everybody in the southeastern United States had the same idea we had. And we got to downtown Gatlinburg, and we drove from one hotel to another to another. To, you can't really call ahead. There's no, we didn't have self, you know. You're just stuck out on the road like, like a nomad. We're going hotel to hotel to hotel to hotel. To, we went all the way down from Gatlinburg, all the way down to Pigeon Forge. Everything was completely solid, 100% booked. So she said, what are we going to do? Oh, no problem. I got a plan. It's going to be awesome. We're going to go up to Sevierville. I mean, we'll drive. We'll just drive up there. No problem. We got up there. Just happened to be this giant University of Tennessee football game in Knoxville. Everything sold out in like three counties. Everywhere I went. So you had to pull in. Remember, you couldn't call nobody. You had to pull in. No internet. Keep pulling in. So I kept pulling and pulling and pulling. Nothing. Then she said, where are we going to go? I don't know where we're going to go. You know what I hear? Asheville, North Carolina is beautiful. So we got in the car and we drove to Asheville. And we started going hotel to hotel, hotel to hotel. And it's getting later and later and later. And, we, I told, and so finally I said, why are all the hotels Booked up, and she said, oh, the leaves are beautiful. These have been booked for weeks. We don't have a spare room anywhere. 
in Asheville and the whole city. It's gone. What? So I get in the car and, you know, she's crying. What are we going to do? We're homeless. We have nowhere to go. There's no room. We're going to die. I said, look, as long as there's gas, we're going to be all right. I can keep putting gas in this thing. I can drive to California somewhere. It's going to work out. And so finally I got to a pay phone and I called like 1-800-HOLIDAY-IN or something. I went, what's the closest hotel you have to me? Greenville, South Carolina. Really? <laughs> How far is that? I don't know. All right. So we got in the car and we drove to Greenville, South Carolina. You know what's in Greenville, South Carolina? Me either. It was three in the morning. I got no idea. I'm on steroids and have been driving for 18 hours. I don't know what's in Greenville, South Carolina. But we got into the hotel room that night, and it was the last room they had, and it was a smoking room. So we choked to death all night long, but we had somewhere to sleep, uh, you know, tried to ventilate a little bit. And the next morning, got up, and, and I thought, this is not good. So I'm, I'm thinking, I'm the worst husband that ever lived. So I'm, you know, let me, how many of you know you're in trouble when you're in the Holiday Inn lobby looking through the brochures for something fun to do, right? you got to redeem this somehow. And so I ended up finding out about the Biltmore house. How many have been to Biltmore? Come on, I'm not that bad. And we went to the Biltmore estate, and it was glorious and redeemed. You, you know that moment on Dumb and Dumber when he says, just when I think you can't do anything dumber, you go and totally redeem yourself. Well, that's kind of that's what happened there. I redeemed myself. And, you know, I, I had that thing planned out to the T, and uh, it, just, it just didn't happen any way that I wanted it to happen. How many of you have ever had a plan, come on now, that didn't work out? Anybody other than me? It's fun to laugh at me, but how many of you, and I laugh at you for a minute. Yeah. You have a plan that didn't work out. Now, how many of you believe, how many of you believe that God has a plan for your life? You believe that? How many of you believe that if you follow him, that plan's going to work out. You believe that? Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things, not just good things, all things God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. Do you love God? And here's the, usually we stop there and we don't go to the next part of this verse. Do you believe God has called you according to his purpose. Do you believe that he's called you according to his purpose? Now, we can't compare ourselves with others. Oftentimes we say, well, I might not be doing everything I ought to be doing, but I'm better than my neighbor. I'm better than that guy right there. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, I come to church most of the time. I tithe-ish, you know. I do things right most of the time. I tell, I don't hurt anybody. I might not be, but look, you can't compare yourself to your neighbor. You have to compare yourself to your call. How's that going? What has God called you to do, and how's that going? Are you fulfilling the mission that God gave you? What is that mission? Well, there's a key verse we've been using for this series uh, all month that we've called Live on Mission, John 17, 18, we're reading out of the message translation. In the same way, this is Jesus, in the same way Jesus says that you gave me a mission in the world, he's talking to God the Father, I give them 
a mission in the world. God the Father gave Jesus a mission in the world, and Jesus took that mission after he faithfully carried it throughout his lifetime, and on his way back to heaven, he handed that mission off to every believer on earth that'll ever live. And that's why we call this series Live on Mission, because it's not a missions trip, it's not an event, it's not a seminar, it's a lifestyle. Jesus gave us the mission that the Father gave him. Now, how's that going? How's that going? Well, the first week when we opened this series, we, the name of that message, if you haven't uh, caught it, you can get it on a podcast, we called it Mission Drift, because the American church has drifted off mission for some time. By every number that I've seen, the percentage of Christians in America continues to shrink. I don't know if you know the fastest growing group in America. Maybe you've ever heard of them called the nuns. Now, I just want to show you what I don't mean is a a different kind of nun, right? I don't mean like, right? That's not the kind of nun I'm talking about, not N-U-N, How many of you heard of the N-O-N-E-S? How many of you heard that phrase, the nuns? These are people that claim no religious affiliation. The fastest growing people in America claim no religious affiliation. And beyond that, Generation Z, which is the generation about 18 or 19 years old and under, are the first post-Christian generation in American history. Now, 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 you might say, but wait a minute, time out. That all sounds like we got some real challenges spiritually in our country, but why is it then every time I get on Facebook and every time I get on the Internet and every time I turn on the TV, I, I, I see these giant churches growing everywhere, and in America we have the largest churches we've ever had in American history. Why is that? Well, look, there are many mega churches in America. The biggest churches America have ever had exist right now. And I'm glad. I love it. I celebrate it. I think it's a good thing. I'm grateful for it. Christian mega churches are growing. Christian music is growing. Christian bookstores are growing. Christian websites are growing. Christian coffee and Christian muffins are growing. And Christian culture is getting bigger and Christian events are getting bigger and I'm glad to see the church leading again somewhere because there was a season in America that we followed everything. I'm glad to see us out there leading. You might not even know this, but Twitter, how many of you have a Twitter account? You have a Twitter account. Twitter uh, recently sent one of their employees from California where they're headquartered to live in Atlanta, Georgia because the, uh, the people in America who get the highest number of retweets are American mega church pastors. And Twitter wants to know why, because they can't get that volume of retweets from anybody else. So they sent one of their employees to live in Atlanta because there's so many mega churches to follow those mega church pastors and figure out what's going on. So look, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm glad. I'm grateful for much of the godly leadership that is raised up in the church in this hour. But the church in America is shrinking and the mission is shrinking. Why? Let me give you one more statistic I haven't given you yet. 91% of all outreach efforts target other Christians. of all the money and all the effort and all the planning and all the things the American church is presently doing target people who are already Christians. 
Not on purpose, but that's what happens. So the American church has become more effective than any time in history at reaching Christians. So 91% of all effort can be boiled down to, let me tell you why my church is better than your church, and why don't you come over here? Now, I just want to say this to you. Our church isn't better than any other church in Shelby County. What I would like for it to be, though, is one of the churches that's leading the way in living on mission in Shelby County. That is what I would love for it to be. I think that would be a phenomenal thing. I, I, I'm going I'm to date myself a little. How many of you remember Keith Green? Anybody remember the name Keith Green? Man, I remember when I was a young believer, I heard about this guy. Um, if you saw the movie Sound of Music, he was one of the little uh, Van, Van Trapp kids, Von Trapp kids that grew up, and he became a musician, and he was wildly talented, and he went in a drugged-out life for years and years and years, finally met Jesus, and wrote a book called No Compromise. I think his wife wrote it about his life. It's an incredible, incredible story. Later, he died in a plane crash. But he lived in such an incredible passion for God and for what God wanted to do in the people who were like him, who just didn't know him. And let me tell you this morning what Keith Green said that I think still applies today, although he's been gone for decades. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls. Do you know that God has a plan for your life? And it's to do Jesus' mission in a unique way. To do it in a unique way. So this morning I only have one point. If you want to write it down, I've got one point. It's the only point I've got. And I'm just going to give it to you today. Here it is. You have a mission that is as unique as you are. You have a mission that is as unique as you are. Our mission will be as unique as the fingerprints on our hand. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. How many of you, that verse is familiar to you? How many of you just look here and say, I've, I recognize that, I've heard it before. Okay, here's what that verse says. You can't do enough good things to be a Christian. Doing good things doesn't make you a Christian. So the, the push for, for volunteerism and relief of suffering and all of the good things in the world stacked on top of themselves, will never be good enough to overcome the brokenness that we all carry in our own humanity. It actually takes a work of God. No work of humanity can do it. So it's by grace, the grace of God, and God didn't have to do it. <laughs> it's grace. It's His love. It's His choice. It's by God's grace that he offered his son sacrificially to die for us, be resurrected on the third day, and the same power, Paul the Apostle said, that brought Jesus back from the grave can resurrect you spiritually from the person you were to a whole new person, and being saved is having faith in that grace. Yeah. 
That's what this verse says. So I wanted to read that to you, and I knew that many of you would be familiar with it, or at least heard the phrase, because I bet most of you aren't as familiar with verse 10 or didn't realize it came right after those two verses. Let me tell you what it says. And I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This word masterpiece means one of a kind. It means work of art. It is the picture of an artist hand-making an original. This is not a copy. This is not a reproduction. There aren't a million of these running around the earth. And this is what the Bible says that you are. You have been handmade by God. There is not a copy. There is not another one like you. You are his masterpiece. Now, do you know what the Greek word here means? The Bible was originally written in Greek, so to get a deeper understanding of the words we read in English, oftentimes we have to go back to the original language and say, what did that word mean? The Greek word here for masterpiece is poema. And I bet you can guess what English word we get from it. Poem. You are God's poem. You are God's song. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's work of art. God had a specific plan in mind when he made you. You are handmade by him. A few years ago, um, I was on a backpacking trip with my two sons and a, a group. And we went to the highest point in the state of Alabama. And uh, when we crossed the ridgeline on that trip, we looked out and you could see for miles and miles. It's about 22 or 300 feet. And you could see for miles. It was a beautiful day, thin blue sky. And it was one of those things where it looked like when you looked into the horizon, the ground and the sky met. You know what I'm saying? Just that thin line. And it was so uh, beautiful and breathtaking. We, we just sort of stood there and nobody said a lot. We just stood there for a few minutes and looked because it was so beautiful. The Bible says that the heavens declare the handiwork of God. And so as I was standing there, I was reminded of how incredible the work is that God does. So if you've ever seen Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon or a big beautiful blue sky or beautiful flowers in the spring or the summer, if you've ever looked up at a giant mountain or seen a beautiful sunrise, you know that God makes beautiful things. And as awesome as all of those things are, none of those are his masterpiece. You know what his masterpiece is? You. And so you can't look around at all the beautiful things God has made and said, somehow or another, he messed up here. Somehow or another, God made junk here. Somehow or another, God made something bad here. 
That's not the kind of things that God makes because that's not the kind of God that he is. If God wanted you to be someone else, you wouldn't exist. So you can be liberated from trying to be anybody else. God made an original in you. He made you as you are. He makes you and has a destiny for what he wants you to grow into becoming. Let me read it again, uh, uh, Ephesians 2.10. Why did God make you you? Here's the answer. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. So, you know what that word so means? Because, for this reason. He's about to tell you, why did God make you an incredible work of art? Why did he hand make you a unique person? Why did he make you an original? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You are not a masterpiece just to be unique. You are not a masterpiece just to be special or to be different. You are a masterpiece because you've been engineered by God for specific things. And if you don't engage in them, they're not going to happen. You're one of a kind for a purpose. So that the good things that he planned for you long ago would happen. Look. It's not like you were just praying one day and, and this just popped up in God's mind. Oh, I got an idea. <laughs> God has been thinking about you since before you were born. And he's been thinking about how your life would play out and who you would meet and where you would work and who you would marry and who your kids are going to be and how all that's going to play out before you ever even existed. Isn't that what the Bible says? He's an incredible planner. And he's been thinking about you, and he made you for a purpose, and he has good things for you to do. But look, the devil's got bad things for you to do. The enemy wants us to believe that we're an accident. We just happen. Life is filled with luck and bad luck and emptiness and randomness and coincidence. And there are some of those things, but that's not the essence of life. The essence of life is not coincidence. It's divine purpose. How many of you know someone whose parents told them they were an accident? Right? There comes that age where uh, some of us looked around and went, wait, 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 time out. What, what year was I born? When did you say, Mom and Dad, you got married? Something, something's not. You get to an age where math eventually settles in on you. And there are people in this room who were raised by single moms or dads, or you've been adopted, you've been raised by grandparents. Some of you lost your parents when you were young. Some of you were neglected, abandoned, maybe even orphaned. Some of you were rescued from abortion. And I just got a word from God for you today. Here's what the Bible says about you. You are not an accident. God handmade you. You are unique. You are a uniquely handmade, divinely designed son or daughter of God. You are his masterpiece. You've been called by God and you've been created for a purpose. He creates us as masterpieces because he wants us, he wants to work in us and he wants to work through us. Now this morning as we kind of tie all this together, I want to share with you a story um, that I, that's kind of been emerging in our church. 
about a, a young lady named Allie. I see, I see Michael here. Michael and Allie came to our church several years ago. I remember going to our guest lunch, and uh, Michael had all this Pittsburgh Steelers stuff on, and I went, my people are here. <laughs> yes. So I just went up and hugged him. Yes. And he went, why is this crazy guy hugging me? I don't even know who he is because we're Steeler people, man. It's, it's a thing. I feel you. And uh, Michael and Allie moved from Pennsylvania uh, down here to Alabama, and um, man, didn't have a, a, a heavy church background in their life, right? I mean, almost, almost nothing. And uh, came to Kingwood, found Jesus, found some relationships with other believers that have been encouraging to them, been through a lot of stuff. But God has begun to reveal his purposes in their life. And so I asked Allie for permission to share some of what's going on in her life. And usually I wouldn't do this, but I, what she wrote was so good, I want to just read to you a little bit of what she sent me that God's been doing in her life. She said, God will use what the enemy has intended for bad for our good and his glory. And she this girl's been through a lot of stuff. The enemy was trying to drown me in my own past again. In a dark moment, I was reminded how much God loved me that even in my sins, even at my darkest moment, he still loved me. It was then that I asked God for a way to hold on to what his purpose for my life was because I needed his purpose to press on. I didn't need the agenda of the world to dictate who I was anymore. I wanted God's purpose for me. This was when my mission was made clear. Almost four years ago, I had a stirring in my heart to use my talents of tattooing to cover human trafficking tattoos. So Allie is a tattoo artist, and she felt like uh, there are a number of people for a variety of reasons that have tattoos that are either cultic or assigned to them, or like she said here in trafficking, the tattoos are bad, and they say bad things, and they become in some ways part of a person's identity, so she felt God sort of showing her, this is a way that I can use you. So God showed me that he was the author of my new identity, that I was covered by the blood of Jesus, being transformed from the inside out, and even still I carried scars and tattoo marks that no longer define me. Of course, since the enemy has no new schemes, he would seek to use these scars and tattoos to hold me down, to keep me back, and make me question what I knew was God's truth of who I was. I felt God leading me to offer to cover up people's scars and misidentifying tattoos. So I threw out a small uh, post on social media. And the response was small at first, but heart-wrenching. God has allowed his spirit to be the voice that shows his endless love by changing something old, worn, false, and even ugly into something beautiful, redeemed, and into something free. Isn't that good? I, I won't even tell you some of the stories she's told me because I think they're probably too sensitive and private. But I'll just read what she wrote. She says, God has allowed me to pray with these clients to turn away from the lie, to walk in the freedom that Christ has died for them to have. I started this project I've called the Romans Project, where God is bringing divine appointments to the studio, 
and for bare minimum or close to it or free, most people, she says, if you'll just pay for the supplies, I'll do all the work for free. He's allowing me the privilege to help people change what they see on their skin into something that reminds them to walk in the freedom that God has intended. In exchange, I've asked people to write their stories for me. What the mark meant, where they were emotionally when they self-harmed, how they moved past that, and what changing that mark meant to them. We have several testimonies so far. She said, when I started this, one of the things she told me, I I, uh, set out to just have a book of testimonies. And she said, now that they're adding up, I don't want a book of testimonies. I want books of testimonies. (laughs) So she says, we have several so far. Listen to this. This is my mission. God using the talents and giftings that he's put in me, and it's more healing to my soul than any therapy or medication I could have. God's mission is healing, redeeming, and freeing his people, and that includes me, even in my broken moments. Signed, Ali Kriska, Living Water Art Studio, on mission for God. Pretty cool stuff, isn't it? Isn't that cool? Really cool. So this morning, she sent me a couple pictures Here's some of the tattoo work that she's done. I don't even recognize some of these symbols. This is the good one. This is the bad one. (laughs) These things have uh, symbolized bad things. And so she takes them. uh, They've been told that there's no way to take some of these off. So she covers them up with beautiful art. Go to the the next one. This This is the evolution of where something started and how she continued to layer over it and over it and over it. So the markings on people's body would remind them of the beauty of God, not the, the harm of their past. So I think we have one more. Yeah, and then the, see, this is before, and you can see what she's doing to cover these things up. Isn't that incredible? Now, now let, let me tell you a little update to the story, okay? Michael and Allie have an, an eight-year-old daughter, and when we did our patriotic uh, service, salute to service, and we preached a salvation message, that morning, their eight-year-old daughter came and gave her heart to Jesus. And I went to lunch that afternoon, my family and I, and happened to walk past them. And, uh, and they waved and said, hey, uh, we want to tell you something. So actually, their, their little daughter said, want to tell me. She said, this morning, uh, I, I came to prayer, and I prayed, and I asked Jesus into my heart. Now, I, now I just want to tell you what the enemy meant for bad. God turns for good because all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose. And so their daughter is growing up in a very different life than Michael and Allie grew up in, right? So this is a whole different game. But that's, that's how God works. That's how God works. Last time, you have a mission that is as unique as you are. Have you found it? How's that going? Are you doing it? Are you fulfilling it? Are you walking in it? Because you'll never know adventure. You'll never know the full impact of faith. You'll never know the full riches of the grace of God until 
you find the good things that God planned for you. They're not going to earn you salvation. In other words, you can't even do them until you're saved. But once God's grace saves you, He saves you and has designed you and made you, and that internal design is unlocked and explodes for eternity in the people around you. And I don't even know how many people that Allie has uh, ministered to, but I can tell you she's had opportunity right there in her shop, right there in the chair to pray for people who would have never walked into this building. That's why we got to go because they're not all going to show up. We got to go where they are, take the message where they are. So this morning, um, I want to pray with you. I'm just going to ask the worship team if you'd come. And I want to ask you to stand with me. We've, we've, we've ended just a, a minute or two early because I, I, want to take, I want to take a couple minutes here. Would you, the card that we handed to you at the beginning of the message, would you pick that up and just look at it for a minute? I, I'm sorry, can you, I, can you turn the lights back up for a minute? Sorry. Just want everybody to be able to see. So, the Sunday after Labor Day, second Sunday of September, we're going to have a picnic. And um, how many of you believe God uses stuff like that as a setup? <laughs> right? People come to picnic, and he's prepared a whole different banquet. He wants to, he's prepared a feast that will feed their soul for life. And so I want to ask you, in the next few weeks to be a person of mission to be an everyday missionary that in the next two or three weeks you can begin to pray and in your life groups on your ministry teams you can begin to pray together and say who do I know that needs God it's just really not complicated who do I know that needs God and I wonder what would happen if I started praying for them now. And I wonder what would happen if I invited them to come that day. We're going to have one service at 1030. Not going to be a 9 o'clock service that day. One service at 1030, everybody together. We're going to share a salvation message. And we're going to have water baptism outside during the picnic. So if you haven't been baptized in water, it'll be an awesome day. You want to be maybe if you want to be baptized, you want to invite some some family who need God or some friends who need God to come watch you be baptized. They can hear the message. On the back, we're starting a new series about doubt. No doubt about it. How do you have faith in the middle of a season of your life when you have a lot of doubt? And so that's a message that would ring true to anybody. Everybody's had doubts. Everybody. The only people that had had doubts are the people who were lying about it. Everybody's had doubts about faith and about God at some point in their life. And so we're going to start a series that day, and we're going to preach a salvation message. And it's going to be, it's just going to, please believe me when I tell you, it's a God-ordained day. It is a powerful day. It will be a, a relevant, powerful message. The Holy Spirit's going to speak to people's hearts. 
but he won't speak to the people's hearts who aren't here. So if you can pray and begin to think, who do you know that needs God? Now today, I'm going to ask our prayer team if you'd come. Because I know that there are some of you here. Everyone, if you just close your eyes and open your heart. There's some of you who are here and you say, you know what? If I'm honest, I've been struggling. And I just needed to know today that God has a plan for my life. I've been struggling in my identity. I've been struggling to forgive myself. I've been struggling to walk clean. I've been struggling with this whole son or daughter of God. I've been struggling inside myself. And today, I just need God to touch me again. I need His strength. I need His encouragement. I need His reminder. I need, I need, I'm in a season where I'm struggling. And I need God's touch on my life today. And I'm just saying to you now, if you'll give God a chance, He will touch you and strengthen you and encourage you and unlock inside of your soul His purposes and His plan. And so today, if, if that's you, you say, I just need God's touch today. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me, that's me. I need God's touch today. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, the front, the back, the middle, the side. Yeah, all over the room. I need in the balcony. I need God's touch today. I'm going through some stuff. Man, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little confused. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but I need God's touch today. I, I need God's touch. I needed that message. I need to know that God had a plan. I need to know that God's working the plan because from my view, it doesn't look like it right now. Man, I've been there. I've been there in my own life. This morning, if you lifted your hand, I want you to just come and let one of the prayer team pray with you. I, here's the reason we pray every service because when we pray, strength comes and healing comes and power comes and life and encouragement so if you lifted your hand I want you with nobody looking I just want you to step out right now step out right now and say in Jesus name I walk to that identity I walk to faith I walk to encouragement I walk to life I take a step I take a step of healing I take a step of strength and life and wholeness everybody lift your hand I want you to come in the balcony we're going to wait for you God's got a plan for you and he wants you in on it. And his plan is good. It's not just good th things through you. It's good things in you. He's got a good plan, a good plan. And so as these are, as these are coming for prayer, you can keep coming. Everybody else, I want you to take this card and lift it up. I want you to take this card and just lift it up. And I want you to pray with me this morning. Before we're going to sing part of a song, but I want you to pray with me today. And I want you to ask Jesus for the people in this county who have a destiny given by God, who haven't found freedom yet or peace. Lord, in Jesus' name, we raise this little invitation card up and we pray that you would use this card and you would use the person holding it to be an everyday missionary. That there are people in this city and in this community that haven't found life, haven't found freedom, haven't found peace, haven't found joy or forgiveness. And we pray today that you would touch their soul. We pray today that you would bring a revelation of Jesus. We pray today that you would bring divine appointments. We pray that you would open doors. God, we pray today that you would make impossible situations possible. We pray that you would heal. 
We pray that you would use the gifts of the Spirit in conversation. God, we pray that you would open doors and bring opportunities for the gospel to go forward and relationships to be built. God, we pray for divine influence. Would you just ask God for that? Ask Him in your life. Lord, I ask you today in my own life for divine appointments and for the vision to see them. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name. As we're praying this morning, would you just sing this song through one time with us? Of darkness.